The Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals presents the timeless teaching of Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse. Satan seeks to buy men to follow him. He offers the pleasures, the wealth of this world. But the Lord Jesus Christ comes and bids the price of his blood and purchase us unto himself. That is why we are called the purchased possession. This is why we read that we are not our own, but we are bought with a price. We sing it. He saw me ruined in the fall and loved me, notwithstanding all. He saved me from my lost estate. His loving kindness, oh, how great. Over a half a century ago, the late Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse, then pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, saw the need to spread God's word beyond the hearing of his local congregation. He started the radio outreach, which has become known as Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible. The application of God's word as taught by Dr. Barnhouse is as relevant today as when he first taught over the radio airwaves decades ago. The message we will be featuring on today's edition of Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible is entitled, The Love of God. A marriage is headed for disaster if a third person intrudes upon the marriage relationship through the unfaithfulness of the husband or wife. But a successful Christian marriage must be built around three persons instead of only two. A truly godly marriage consists of an intimate faithful union between a husband, a wife, and the Lord. How can a true understanding of the love of God transform your marriage and your family? The scripture text for this edition of Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible, Romans chapter 7 and verse 2. Here again is Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse with a message entitled, The Love of God. Through the Lord Jesus Christ we come unto thee, our Father and our God, and in the Holy Spirit. How we rejoice in thy goodness and thy faithfulness to us in Christ Jesus. When we see thee in the majesty of thy creation, we are overawed and a little frightened. But when we see thee in the love that thou hast displayed in coming to die for us, then we are warm with the knowledge that we are loved by thee, and that thou hast nothing toward us but grace. Bless the going forth of thy word in this hour, and use it in the hearts of all who listen that we may know thee better and love thee more. We ask it in the name and for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Today we continue speaking on Romans 7-2, the law of the husband. As an example of the inward significance of biblical marriage, we went back to the book of Hosea in our last study and saw part of that wonderful story which we now delight to continue. Hosea was a prophet who was ordered by God to marry a dissolute woman in order to enact a pageant before the nation of Israel. The prophet was to play the part of God the Lord and be faithful to the wife no matter what she did. 
for this is surely the nature of the ever-loving and merciful God. The woman who was to play the part of the nation was bound to her husband by a covenant, but went after strange men, even as the nation went after strange gods. But the more that she was wild and dissolute, the more Hosea showed his love and faithfulness to her. In our last study, we left the story at the point where the husband had gone to one of the woman's lovers and had provided him with money so that the woman would not want for anything. And the woman had thanked the lover, giving him credit for the provision which had, in reality, been made by the love and care of her husband. Does God really love us like that? And the answer comes welling up from the pages of the word of God and shining forth from the cross of Jesus Christ that he does, in truth, love us like that. The pursuing love of God is the greatest wonder of the spiritual universe. We leave God in the heat of our own self-desire and run from his will because we want so much to have our own way. We get to a crossroads and look back in pride, thinking that we have outdistanced him. And just as we're about to congratulate ourselves on our achievement of uh, self-enthronement, we feel a touch on our arm and we turn back in that direction to find him there. My child, he says in great tenderness, my child, I love you. And when I saw you running away from all that is good, I pursued you through a shortcut that love knows well. And I awaited you here at the crossroads where I knew you would come. Now we have torn ourselves free from his grasp and rushed off again through deepest woods and farthest swamp. And as we look back again by the way we have come, we're sure this time that we have succeeded in escaping from him. But once more, the touch of love is on our other sleeve. And when we turn quickly, we find that he's there, pleading with the eyes of love and showing himself once more to be the tender and faithful one, loving to the end. He will always say, my child, my name and nature are love, and I must act according to that which I am. So it is that I have pursued you to tell you that when you are tired of your running and your wandering, that I will be there to draw you to myself once more. When we see this love at work through the heart of Hosea, we may wonder if God is really like that. But everything in the word and everything in experience shows us that he is like that. He will give a man the trees of the forest and the iron in the ground. And then he will give to the man the brains to make an axe from the iron, to cut down a tree and fashion it into a cross. He will give the man the ability to make hammer and nails. And when the man has the cross and the hammer and the nails, the Lord will allow man to take hold of him and bring him to that cross. He will stretch out his hands upon it and allow men to nail him to that cross. And in so doing, he will take the sins of man upon himself and make it possible for those who have despised and rejected him to come unto him and know the joy of sins removed and forgiven, to know the assurance of pardon and eternal life, and to enter into the prospect of the hope of glory with him forever. This is even our God, and there is none like unto him. But in spite of this love, the woman did not repent, and Hosea followed her down to the bottom of degradation, not going into it himself, aloof in his holiness, but close in his love, loving her all the time.
The Lord announced that it was a picture of the path of his love following Israel through all the years. It is amazing to me that anyone can read these chapters and then look at the history of the nations and not believe that the Lord has charted the whole program of the nations in advance. And I will punish her, we read in Hosea 2, and I will punish her for the feast days of the Baals, when she burned incense to them and decked herself with her ring and her jewelry and went after her lovers and forgot me, saith the Lord. And while it was necessary for his justice to allow her to eat the fruit of her doings, it was also certain that her misery would become the framework in which his never-failing love could best be exhibited. This can be seen in the case of the nation, which illustrates today those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and also in the case of the woman, Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, the wife of Hosea. For the nation, the Lord announced that it would be necessary for her to go down to live in the wilderness, with vines and fig trees destroyed. But, said the Lord, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And from there I will give her back her vineyards and make the valley of weeping as a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. And in that day, says the Lord, you will call me my husband. And no longer will you call me my Baal. And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. And the children whose names were scattered, not pitied, and not my people, would have their names changed back to names of love. For he says, and in that day, says the Lord, I will answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth, and the earth shall answer the grain, the vine and the oil, and they shall answer Jezreel, and I will sow him for myself in the land. And I will have pity on not pitied, and I will say to not my people, you are my people. And he shall say, thou art my God. And then, having shown the pageant in its final fulfillment of love and grace to the nation, the Lord caused Hosea to live through the sorrow of love in the depths, bringing love to the heights. The woman whom Hosea loved passed from hand to hand and finally ended in the slave market. Sin, when it is finished, brings forth death, and the sin of Gomer had now run to its logical fulfillment. She was to be sold as a slave in the slave market. And at this point in the story comes the verse that I think may well be counted among the greatest verses in the Bible, if not the greatest. And here is a line which, beyond all, all other lines in the Bible, brings out the heart of our Lord God. In order to give it its greatest effectiveness, let me tell the story apart from the words of the narrative and then see the concentration of truth in the simple phrases. The Lord told Hosea, that he was to go into the slave market and buy his wife as she would be put on sale. We know a great deal about the slave market in ancient times. Almost half the population was in slavery to the other half, and there was scarcely a day and scarcely a city in which human beings were not sold openly in the market. The ancient writers have left us terrible pictures of this sale of human beings. A writer of comedy laughs at the sight of a very fat man being sold in the marketplace, while the bystanders reflect 
so that he would eat them out of house and home. And one, justifying his bid, a paltry bid, says that he has a mill wheel that is squeaking and that this slave cut into pieces would be cheaper than buying grease. And then a female slave is put up for auction, her clothes removed, and the bystanders laugh among themselves as they bid for the body of this slave. It was to a scene like this that Hosea was called to go. The Lord told him that he was to go and purchase the wife he had loved for so long, but who was now sold in the market. Suddenly, before the eyes of Hosea, appeared the woman he loved with all his heart. Her veil was taken from her face. Her body was exposed to the gaze of the crowd, and the bidding began. Three pieces of silver, five, eight, ten, ten pieces of silver, eleven, twelve. And Hosea then bids fifteen pieces of silver. The market is tense. The low bidders have dropped out. Another voice calls, fifteen pieces of silver and a bushel of barley. Hosea replies, Fifteen pieces of silver and a bushel and a half of barley. The auctioneer looks round, is unable to get a higher bid, and announces that the woman is sold to Hosea. The curious onlookers gaze at the scene. The husband goes to the wife and helps her with her clothing, puts her veil upon her face, and leads her into the anonymity of the crowd. Does God love us like that? Oh, listen to the story as it is recorded in the third of Hosea. Then said the Lord unto me, Go yet, love this woman, beloved of her friend, this adulteress. Love her according to the love of the Lord toward the children of Israel. That's the line which I think may well stand as the greatest in all the Bible. How does God love me? I read it in the more familiar verse, For God so loved the world. But what does this mean, he so loved the world? Then I stand in the marketplace and watch Hosea, under orders from the Lord, coming to purchase his wife, who had become an adulteress and a slave on sale in that market. Can a man buy such a thing? Can a man stand before a city that knows him and that knows the woman and bid against others for the possession of the wife who should have been faithful to him all the time? Yes. Hosea can, by the grace of God, because the Lord has told him to love her according to the love of the Lord toward the children of Israel. And when I look at the marketplace of the world and see the souls of men, I see the Lord Jesus entering the marketplace to purchase me with a price of his own blood in order that he might possess me for himself. God so loved the world. The bidding is high and sharp. The world offers a great price for the souls of men. Satan seeks to buy men to follow him. He offers the pleasures, the wealth of this world. But the Lord Jesus Christ comes and bids the price of his blood and purchase us unto himself. That is why we are called the purchased possession. This is why we read that we are not our own, but we are bought with the price. We sing it. He saw me ruined in the fall and loved me notwithstanding all. He saved me from my lost estate, his loving kindness, oh, how great. Now, under the ancient law, a man could do as he pleased with a slave whom he had purchased. If Hosea had taken this woman and had told her that she was now to be punished for all her infidelities, 
and if he had tortured her to death, he would have gone free with but the slightest fine. Men would have thought him indeed vengeful to have wasted fifteen pieces of silver and a bushel and a half of grain in order to wreak his spite upon her. They would have thought that life would have dealt hardly enough with her, that she would have suffered more as a slave to some other man, or even worse as the slave to some woman, and that her menial way would bring her a living death when she remembered the life from which she was fallen. But Hosea did not act in this way because he was reflecting the love of God, and God never acts thus with those whom he has redeemed by his blood. Hosea took Gomer and led her towards their home, and as they went, he said to her, Thou shalt abide for me for many days. Thou shalt not play the harlot, and thou shalt not be for another man. So will I also be for thee. If we examine these words, their poignancy takes hold of the heartstrings. Here is the climax of the expression of love. What Hosea could not have secured from the free will of a wife, he now has the right to ask of the one who has been redeemed out of slavery. She was to remain with him in faithfulness. She knew that this was her place as a purchased slave. She was no more to play the harlot than be passed from man to man with the loss of gifts and the daily increasing degradation. But the extraordinary word is the one that follows. So shall I be for thee. It was common practice in the ancient world for a man to rent a woman for a year. The Greek archaeologists have discovered hundreds and hundreds of texts of such contracts that have withstood the years. And the woman during the time of that contract was to be faithful to the man who had paid the price. But there was no guarantee whatsoever that the man could not look in any direction he desired and go with any woman he pleased. It has always been thus. And so how extraordinary the text is here, that not only does Hosea exact that the woman shall be totally toward him, but he says, so shall I be for thee. Even in this moment of homecoming, the love of Hosea shines through at its brightest. If he is demanding of her a faithfulness that shall be complete, she must understand that he is not offering her any less from himself. He will be holy for her absolutely for her. His faithfulness to her shall continue. This is the faithfulness of the love of God. In the light of this story, we can see into the inner meaning of marriage as it is set forth in ideal form in the word of God. Marriage is the union of Christ and the church. Christ is the faithful one. We are the ones who slip into flirtation and then into adultery with the world. We go after strange gods. We are loved by Christ Jesus, but we look readily upon the faces of the loves of the world. We are drawn aside by our own desires and seduced from our first love of Christ. Such a seduction is the worst of all transgressions, since it is the sin against the love of God. He is faithful to the end, loving us when we were unlovely, taking us through all the steps of our wanderings, down to the place of redemption and final attachment to himself forever. We can now begin to summarize some of the things we have seen. There is marriage in Christ, and there is what the world calls marriage out of Christ, but which is not marriage in his sight. God does not join together the men and the women who decide to unite 
and go through what the world calls a marriage, even though the ceremony may be performed in a church by a minister. True marriage is the union of two people who have been born again. In the case where there has been the union of two unbelievers, the salvation of the one or the other immediately gives a changed aspect to their union. It now becomes a marriage subject to certain laws of God. For we read in 1 Corinthians 7, the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the believing wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the believing husband. This does not mean that the unbelieving mate is saved, but that he is set apart by the word of God so that the believer can enter into the promises of God for the children of such union and begin to act towards the mate as though there had been a true marriage. In the world of the unsaved, there can be union and divorce and further union without there being marriage in the sight of God. Union, even with a ceremony, is not marriage. And therefore, any attempt to apply Christian rules to such a union is outside the province of leaders in Christian life. It's only those whom God hath joined together who may not be put asunder by men. It is for these reasons that divorce may never be rightfully instituted by a true believer on any grounds whatsoever. Unfaithfulness as we have seen in the case of Hosea and Gomer, is but the larger call of God for the manifestation of love that will sacrifice all for the sake of the marriage with the one who is loved. The question of divorce has become so important in the life of America that I believe that it is necessary for me to set forth the principles which govern divorce and remarriage under some instances. And in the next study, the Lord willing, I shall give the full time to this question. There has been great grief and agony caused to some devout Christians who have been the innocent victim of broken love and broken homes. And frequently the grief of the broken home has been increased by ignorant Christians who have attempted to force Christian principles on non-Christians or who have failed to see that there are certain circumstances which break a marriage and leave the innocent party perfectly free to remarry. In closing this study, I would like to point out the reason why a true believer in Christ is never to institute proceedings for divorce, no matter what the circumstances or the ignominy of life. Such a procedure, the institution of divorce by a born-again believer, would be tantamount spiritually to an admission that our union with Christ could be broken. It would accept the principle that there is no true justification by faith apart from the works of the law and would lead to the idea that it would be possible for a believer to be severed from Christ and be lost. For marriage is a symbol of our union with Christ. And this union is instituted by him and he has said that the believer shall never perish. When we consider our text in its context, we are brought face to face with marriage, true marriage between believers, as an illustration of finality. And it is used in the seventh of Romans to show that Israel was married to the law and bound by the law as long as the law existed unchanged. But when that law was put to death in the death of Christ, Israel was freed from the law, even as a woman is freed from her husband by death. 
And just as she may be married to another after the death of her husband, so Israel could be married to the risen Lord Jesus Christ, who was to take the place of the new husband and give a life of glory and triumph after a life of bondage and defeat. May I suggest that you tell as many divorced people as possible to listen to this broadcast, as I believe that there will be a great deal in it to stimulate their thinking, bringing conviction to some and great relief to others as they understand what the Bible has to say about divorce and remarriage after divorce. And we pray thee, our God and Father, that thou will bless the word to our hearts, that the Holy Spirit may take it and use it to thy glory and saving of men. Lord, we ask thee to do what we cannot do. We've spoken words to human ears. And wilt thou take it by thy divine help to the very center of being? We ask it in the name and for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The persistent pursuing love of God is the greatest wonder in the universe. Have you experienced the love of Jesus Christ who seeks and saves those who are lost? We hope you have benefited from today's message by Dr. Barnhouse entitled, The Love of God. You can listen to additional Bible teaching by the late Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse via the Internet by visiting the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals website at alliancenet.org. An audio copy of today's teaching is available by calling us toll-free 1-800-488-1888. Today's message again is entitled, The Love of God, or simply request message number R7-4. We would also like to make available to you a free copy of our booklet entitled, What God Has Joined Together. In the book of Malachi, God declares that He hates divorce. And yet in America, the divorce rate among professing Christians is virtually the same as that of unbelievers. This booklet will show you from Scripture how important marriage is in God's eyes and how to maintain a strong, healthy relationship with your husband or wife. If you want to build a biblically sound marriage that will glorify God and stand the test of time, ask for your free copy of What God Has Joined Together When You Call or Write. Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible is a radio ministry of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, headquartered in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. We exist to promote a biblical understanding and worldview, drawing upon the insight and wisdom of Reformation theologians from decades and even centuries gone by. We seek to provide contemporary Christian teaching materials, which will equip believers to understand and meet the challenges and opportunities of our time and place. Dr. Barnhouse comes to you through the generous gifts of our listeners. If you have benefited from this broadcast and would like it to continue, please, won't you prayerfully consider a donation to help us keep this ministry on the air? For more information or to make a contribution to support and further our work, please contact us by writing Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, Box 2000, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, 19103. Call us toll-free. 1-800-488-1888 or visit us online at alliancenet.org Be sure to ask for a free updated resource catalog featuring books, audio teachings, commentaries, booklets, daily devotionals, videos, and a wealth of other materials from outstanding Reformed theologians and teachers such as Donald Gray Barnhouse, James Montgomery Boyce, Michael Horton, and Martin Lloyd-Jones. Then join us again next time for more classic teaching on Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible.